Good morning, everyone. We are in the fourth week of our series, Losing My Religion. And it occurred to me this morning, if we haven't lost it by now, I don't know what we're going to do. Four weeks in, I want to welcome you. If you're visiting with us, we really hope that uh, your time today with us is uplifting and encouraging and just an otherwise real bright spot in your life and, and in your week. And a special welcome to our brothers and sisters from the Simi Valley Church. Really, really great to have you with us. And I hope that you're especially ministered to and built up today. I thought our, our music ministry and Ramel and everybody so far uh, in our worship service has done such a, a great job. And on a day like today, I'm just praying over there. I'm just praying, God, please help me not to mess this one up because it's been so fantastic so far. But uh, losing my religion, there's, there's a mindset that we have behind that and our Creative director, Joe Collins, in the artwork here, found this, and I, I loved it uh, as soon as I, I saw it, because it, it's this guy, and what's he doing? What, what, what's going on with him? I, I see him walking out of a tunnel, out of a dark place, and into the light, into a bright place, from where you wouldn't want to be, out to where you really want to be, but that. Somewhat in the eye of the beholder, it's possible that he's actually walking in. And at any given moment in life, you can be heading one way or the other. At any given moment, the trajectory of your life and even of your spirituality can seem to be going, you know, someplace better or heading someplace not so good. The idea of losing religion really is meant to be a good thing, that we can get religious, that we can go through the motions, that can be more about the ritual than about the genuine relationship with God, and that we need to lose that. But the backdrop is, and, and it's Memorial Day weekend, and i got to tell you, I, I love being an American. I really do. I enjoy visiting our mission points around the world, and I try not to to be overly American when I'm there and try to realize that God's everywhere and God didn't just make the U.S. of A., but he made the whole world and, and you know, it's all his out there and they're all his people. But, but I do love being an American and on days like today, weekends like this weekend, realizing how, how blessed we are and how fortunate we are for those who've gone on, ultimately paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we could live in a free land. And there, uh, according to, amen, and according to uh, one of my relatives who did this ancestry chart, uh, the first, uh, our lineage can be uh, traced back to this guy, Thomas Quint, who landed on the East Coast somewhere around 1680-something. And they've, they, there's been Quints here, so probably just blame it on the Quints if there's problems with uh, the country. We've been here long enough to have messed it up, I know. But uh, it, it's great being in this country, and yet the backdrop currently is that there's a shift away from Christianity and church going in particular in this land right now. There is an increase. Just in the past 10 years, there's a 10% increase in those who are not going to church. And it's approaching the 50% mark 
where pretty soon there's going to actually be a shift to where there's going to be more people on any Sunday morning who are staying home instead of going to church. And again, that, that can be a bad thing, but it doesn't have to be a bad thing if in the process of that, there's some real genuine, not just going through the motions of attending someplace on a Sunday morning because that's what grandma did and that's what mom did and now I'm going to do that too kind of mindlessly, but an actual real examination of where am I and why am I doing what I'm doing. Losing religion doesn't have to be a bad thing, but let's, let's get honest about it. What, what, what really is at issue here is where's our faith? Losing religion doesn't have to be a bad thing, but losing faith can be a very, very damaging thing. And as I look at my life, as I I look at the balance in me between genuine faith and just going through the motions doing what I do because this is what I do, religion, I find I, I have a real struggle. There are times when I want to be faithful and I'm filled with doubt. There's times when I want to be really centered, and yet I know I'm just drifting. There's times when I want to be pure-hearted, and yet my heart is just just poisoned with all kinds of... I want my attitudes to be Christ-like, and yet I step back and I examine them, and I I shake my head sometimes, and I wonder, after all this time of of walking with Him and knowing His teaching, how could I be this, this, this far so unlike Him? And I feel like, am I not yet so much more religious than I am faithful? And in the, in the process of trying to keep it real and keep it authentic and keep it genuine and not just going through the motions, it takes a lot of work. It takes, it takes sacrifice. Jesus put at the very first of his calling, if you're going to be with me and you're going to do it real and the real way and you're going to keep it real, you're going to need to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And at the very center of this real Christian thing is a cross. And I've got to at times ask myself, I find myself asking myself, is it worth it? Is it worth the cross? Is it worth the constant looking at where I'm at and saying, that's not where Jesus wants me to be. I'm going to need to deny myself here. And I have to say, is it, is it worth it? After all this time, is it, is it still worth it? That there's a, there's a cross at the center of it all that says, what I want isn't necessarily the best thing. And I'm going to have to defer. I'm going to have to say no to what I want. Sometimes, often, it's to defer to some other human being, some other person that may be just as selfish as I am and may be promoting their own agenda just as much as me, and yet it seems to be, in that moment, the will of Jesus that I say no to me and defer to the other person. And i got to ask myself, is it worth it? That walking in the footsteps of Jesus and doing it real, not religious, but real, that at the center of his way, it was all about love, loving people. And I look within myself and I say, I'm still nothing like him, nothing like Jesus in the way he loved people so sacrificially and in such a, a serving way. And I have to ask myself, given 
my personal agenda, what I like to be doing with my time, what I like to be doing with my life, my future. There's times when I got to ask myself, is it worth it? And I know that whenever I say, honestly, I would never say this to you for crying out loud, I'm a preacher. But whenever I say within myself, in the moment, now it's really not. It's really not worth the cross. It's really not worth the sacrifice. It's really not worth the self-denial. It's not really not worth going the second mile and doing what Jesus would say, that I shift from what's real to what's religious. I shift from what could be authentic to what's just going through the motion. And deep down at the heart of the heart of the heart, in my journey is the wrong answer to this question when I say, is it worth it? And I just say, frankly, today, this afternoon, tonight, this morning, whatever the situation may be. No, no, I actually don't think it is. I think I'm going to pull back my heart. I think I'm going to put a boundary there. I think I'm going to set some limits. I think it's okay right now for me to say, no, Lord, enough already. Leave me alone. Let me just coast. Let me just put it on cruise control. Enough of the cross, enough of the self-denial, enough of the giving up, putting to death, letting go, surrendering, and sacrificing. Jesus spoke to this. In a couple of stories that he told in Matthew 13, and these are only in Matthew, and they're just a couple sentences long, but they are filled with such meaning and speaking to this question that I ask myself sometimes, and maybe you ask yours. In Matthew 13 and verse 44, he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, He hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought that field. Let's pray for a moment. Before we continue on with the words of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would meet with us here now. We pray that you would speak to our hearts by your word. We pray, Lord, that you would do a work in us by your spirit that is beyond human and is totally of you. And Father, we pray that whether we're heading into the tunnel or out of it, we pray that you would head us toward you and toward your heart and into the light with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Jesus is talking, as he often did, about this this realm that he called the kingdom. And the kingdom was, in Jesus' mind, anything but religious and anything but ritual and anything but going through the motions. It was, among other things, where God reigned. 
Among other things, being of heaven, it was more and beyond this earth. It could touch down and it could be part of our experience on this earth, but it was not of this world, not from this world. And though you might be able to start experiencing it now and enter into it, now you might be close, you might be far, but, when, but you could get into it now, but it would, it would be a journey that would start here and would go on into eternity forever and ever. And though it would be something that you could interact with that would be around you and even out there, ultimately, it was all about what happened within. The kingdom, he would say, is within. It had power. It had authority in his mind. But it wasn't political. It could have effects on kings and, and empires. But it was, it was other than that and different than that. And he spoke often about the kingdom, about the realm where God reigns. Now, ultimately, everything is where God reigns. Everywhere is where God reigns. But for a time, for a brief blip in eternity of eternities, God allows a space here on planet Earth where he chooses to hand over free will to mankind. And he chooses to allow the reign and the domain of Satan and of evil. And he puts people in a place where they can, though ultimately all is the reign of God, all is under the authority of God, he allows people to choose. He gives them free will and he allows them to choose. And in the course of choosing, it, it, is, it is amazing, but people actually prefer what would be called the kingdom of darkness over the kingdom of light? What would, they would prefer to be their own kingdom, their own reign, their own rule over the reign and the authority of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, there is a time where it's all going to be straightened out and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's going to be a time where all the balances are going to be reckoned, where all the judgments are going to be made, and the final thing is going to be there is but one King, King Jesus. There is but one Lord, Lord of all. But between now and then, there are actually realms that people can live in and the choice of being in or not in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus would tell stories to invite people to while they had the option, exercise their free will for and entering into and seeking the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And so here it's all about In these two quick stories, it's all about the value that you place on it. Do you get it? Do you understand? Because if you understood the value of where God reigns, getting off the throne and allowing God to be on the throne, putting God in charge of your life, doing it his way, if you understood the magnificence of it, the value of it, the decision would be made. So there's this treasure hidden in a field. There's this one pearl that among all pearls, this one is recognized by the eyes that understand and know. This one is recognized as one of great value. And Jesus says, 
That is like life in the realm where God reigns. It's just like that, like a treasure, like a very, very magnificent and spectacular pearl. Just a couple years ago, a Northern California couple owned some property in gold country, the former gold country up against the foothills of the Sierra Nevada. And they were one day walking their dog in their property along a trail that they had walked many times. And they, they saw a tree and a can that evidently had one time been hanging from a branch in the tree, but the tree trunk had began to grow around that can. And they got a little bit closer, and they saw kind of along some rocks and some ground protruding from the ground an old weathered can. And they dug around that can, and they found more cans. And they got them out, and they dusted them off, and they were heavy, and they felt like they, felt like they must... This was just two years ago. They must, they must have lead paint in them, and so they were going to you know, try to remove them from their property. But, but as they looked inside, they found gold coins. And when they cleaned them off and they dusted them off, they found like 1,423 or something gold coins. They took them into a, an appraiser, and it ends up that they're valued at over $10 million dollars. It is the largest, by, by about 10 times, the largest find of gold, buried gold treasure in this country ever. There in the gold country of the Sierra Nevada. And I'll just a walk out on their property and there was the buried treasure. If you had property or access to property, or a way to get property that had $10 million buried in it, you'd probably figure out a way to land that thing, wouldn't you? That's the back story of this situation as Jesus describes it. Now, in that day and time, it was actually quite common for people, because thieves could break into your home because the land might be ravaged by war and invading armies might come and it was just better to have it buried in the yard. But what would happen is either killed in a war or or sudden death would take a person away and the treasure would be buried out there and no one would know how to find it. They might know it existed somewhere, but they wouldn't know where it was and so it'd be lost out there in a field. Jesus is saying that that kind of value, that kind of, of spectacular, off the charts, never saw that coming. Wow, this is valuable. That's what, where God reigns, where God is allowed to rule, where God is allowed to have authority, where it's done God's way, where the kingdom of heaven is. That's what it's like. So when you, when I start wrestling with, is it worth it? That's usually an indicator that my vision is foggy, that my understanding of what it is I have, that how blessed I am, that the opportunity I have in Jesus, that, that I'm losing touch with that. Because if ever I would get it, 
Is there sacrifice? Yeah. Is there self-denial? Is there a cross? Yeah. Is there death to self so that Jesus can live in me? Yeah. All of that. All of that and more. But when you get the value, it becomes the biggest no-brainer in the history of mankind. If you're ever deciding, if you're ever in a debate, I don't know. I don't know I want to keep on. I don't know why I want to continue. It's so hard. Yeah, you're, you're probably paying attention. If you ever think it's hard, you're probably suiting up and showing up and you're in the game. But if you're ever wondering, is it worth it? Well, it's just the biggest no-brainer in the history of mankind. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. It's like a great, fantastic, spectacular pearl. But back to the story as Jesus told it, the treasure was hidden and it took a man finding it. We don't know how long it had been hidden. It could have been just one generation or just a few years, or it could have been many hundreds of years, but it was hidden in that place in that field until this man found it. It was a hidden treasure buried that had to be found. Was he digging a ditch? Was he plowing a field? Was he moving some rocks around and found it buried under a rock marking it? We don't know. But somehow it was at one moment hidden and then the guy unearthed it and found it. Just like our Northern California couple found $10 million worth on their property. And then sometimes not buried, sometimes hidden in plain sight. Like the guy in search of the pearls, sometimes the kingdom and its real value, you're going to have to, you're going to have to dig for it. You're going to have to uncover some things. But sometimes the value of the kingdom could be staring you right in your face. But you don't see it because your eyes are dull, because your eyes are untrained. But to the trained eye, to the informed eye, to the educated eye on such spiritual things, it becomes a jump off the page, a standout, how could anybody be missing this value? Like the guy in search of the pearls. Nobody else saw it. Everybody in the emporium, everybody in the marketplace were walking by it. It was just saying there, And he's like, I can't believe nobody sees this. Such is the effect that a realization of a relationship with God, turning your life over to him, letting it be his domain, my life, your domain, God, have it your way, God, what that can be like. Let's just look for a moment Because here's the reality. I would like to show you the value of the kingdom of God. One could say, yeah, preacher man, that's your job. Convince me. Show me. But after many years of trying to do just that, I've concluded it cannot be done. It can't be done. One person cannot show another person value. Value is something that must be attributed from the heart. Value. Is this worth it or not? Value is a very personal thing. It's not that the value isn't 
objective and isn't absolute. It is. But the seeing of the value and the attributing of the value has to come from the heart. So let's just talk for a moment about the journey of discovery. Let's talk for a moment because that's, that's, that's part of the story that Jesus is describing is, is this treasure hidden in a field and this guy that's on, it seems like a, a lifetime quest. We don't know how many ports he's gone to. We don't know how many countries, how many seas he's sailed over. But finally, his journey is satisfied when he finds this one of great value. What about the journey? We have some information about it just from those who took that journey in the pages of the New Testament. In John chapter 6 and verse 66, it was a time when Jesus had been really going after it. Our Lord could lay out some really hard teaching. And sometimes it seemed like he just deliberately wanted to thin the crowds. Like some, are you trying to offend people, Jesus? Because you're doing a pretty good job at it. And somebody who's trying to get followers and start a world religion, you know, you're not doing a very good job of it today. You would think by how, how edgy and how cutting and how challenging and offensive his teaching was. Well, this was one of those days. And in John 6, verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples, we're not talking about his critics, we're not talking about seekers out there, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Have you ever had a day like that? I have. Have you ever had a time like that where you're like, <laughs> I give up, I, 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 here's the white flag, I'm waving, I can't do this anymore. You just, you just finally up the ante beyond me. Was that what you were trying to do? Well, you succeeded, Lord, because I can't do this anymore. Not this way. Many turned back, no longer followed him. Jesus looks at the 12 and says, you don't want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. The original language carries with it the idea of a process. Maybe they didn't write it first, but after hanging around him, after opening up their hearts, after really comparing what he said and the life that he was describing and the picture that he was painting of their future and what it could be to where they were at right then, we have come to believe and to know there's nowhere else we could go. You've got it. You've got the words as we've listened, as we've opened up our hearts and as we've weighed the truth of it. It has resonated and it has rung deeply within us. Nothing better than that. It's challenging. Yeah, we get why those people are walking away today. We get that, but we're not going anywhere. There is a description of the seeking for and the finding something of great value. It's not where they started, but somewhere along the way in their journey, they came to appreciate the value of the words of Jesus. Now, it's very hard to do that if you've never really read for yourself the words of Jesus. And it's really hard to do that and understand the value of the words of Jesus in your life situation right now if you haven't lately read them. 
But when you are willing to take his words into your life situation, anytime, anywhere, you could arrive at the same conclusion. A journey of discovery that ends up saying, wow, this is the biggest no-brainer in the history of mankind. Of course I'm going to stay with you. Is it challenging? Yeah. Man, it's excruciatingly challenging sometimes, but I'm not going anywhere because I know the alternative to you is darkness. It's just life in the abyss. The Apostle Paul had something to say on the subject in Philippians 3 and verse 7. He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because, look at the language here, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Skipping down to verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Notice how he describes it. He says, wherever he may have started, he says, I now consider loss. There is a valuing of Jesus, of walking with Jesus, of knowing Jesus. There is an evaluing that occurred to him and to where all of a sudden, what day was it? What year of his journey was it? What situation was he in in his journey when all of a sudden it reached the surpassing greatness point where nothing in life, nothing in life was more important to him than Jesus? It's a good gauge. I can look at my life and see the idols and the good things sometimes that have been important and, yes, even more important to me than Jesus. In high school, it was basketball. I was going to be in the NBA. I, didn't, I, I know it's a shock to you I didn't make it. In college, even though I was at a Christian college, it was chasing women. Now, they were Christian women that I was chasing. I've got to tell you that. But that was my value. Years down the road, being, being married and having children, it wasn't, it wasn't a conscious thing, but, but I would wake up frequently, and my family and the care of my family and the valuation of my family was the surpassing thing. Probably now, more than anything else, and this is kind of where I started, but now it, it just really, it really comes back to me. I mean, haven't I earned the right for some, some coverage, Lord? Haven't I earned some right for some coasting? That it's, it's, probably, it's probably my comfort. It's having it my way. It's being able to, to sort it out the way I want it to be. And out there is a relationship with Jesus that could be of surpassing greatness to anything that I might value more than him. I appreciate what Paul says next in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on 
to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I think he gets our challenge. Thank you, Paul, for saying this. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's a journey of discovery. I have my days when I'm not there. I have my days when I'm wondering stupidly, ignorantly, is it worth it? But I get called back to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Now, you've got to have your journey of discovery. You've got to start it. And wherever you are right now is a good place and a good time to start it. But there is buried out there somewhere in your life the treasure of life with God. There is somewhere out there hidden, maybe right in plain sight among all the other pearls and trinkets and things that you might be valuing. There is right in front of you the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. When I am paying attention for me, and it's just me, but I was taking some time to, to reflect on this because if I'm going to talk about it, it's probably good for me to answer it within my own self. Forgiveness is a huge one for me. The more I know, the more of a sinner I get that I am. And what's really amazing about God is that my understanding of my sin at any given moment, because now it's into my, not just my actions, but it's my thoughts and my attitudes and the intentions and inclinations of my heart. I get why Genesis 6 says only evil all the time that I'm also learning that his grace is always exceeding that. And thankfully, my understanding of his grace, as my understanding of my sin, my understanding of his grace is invited to grow. It's about forgiveness and everything that goes along with that, like God thinks that I am worthwhile enough to pay the price of the blood of Jesus to say, forgive me, to, to say to me that, that I'm forgiven. That means a lot to me because I, I can feel really guilty. I can do something, think something, say something, feel something, and then, and then almost like instantly the guilt can just connect me and blindside me and to know that, that forgiveness is there. And then there's, there's, the, there's the fellowship. I've been talking recently with a number of people who are, who are in counseling, in therapy with a, with a counselor or with a psychologist, and, and I've wanted to affirm that, that that's a good thing for them to do, and there's no conflict with being a Christian and, and needing, needing help and, and needing counseling. But it occurred to me that, you know, I've been in therapy for just about 40 years. <laughs> Not really. I, that, when I think about what, what are my daily times with God, it's, it's totally therapy. I'm messed up, and you may be thinking, man, you got issues, and you're right. Totally, I, I got issues, and it, I'm, I'm day to day. I'm day to day, and sometimes I'm here, and sometimes I'm here, but, but I need, 
And what is really, what's the pearl of great price? What's the treasure? For me, it's my daily therapy sessions with Jesus. I, I couldn't live without those. I need him. I need his thoughts to come in and redirect and sort out. And it's, it's really, it's the processing of life, but it's really, it's the processing of me in life that I need his help with. That's just worth more to me than anything. And then there's, there's the future. Because I can go to really bad places and I can worry and I can be anxious and I can think about what's next and what's around the corner and what's going to happen. What's, what's going to happen with Renee? What's going to happen with Josh and Drew? What's going to happen with the world? What's going to happen here and there? And what's going to happen with the church? And I can, I can go to really crazy places and, and just to know that God is saying constantly, I, I got it. I got this one. I can handle this. Just, just relax. You go ahead and you go to sleep. I'm going to stay up tonight. I got this covered. <laughs> that, that hope for the future is just priceless. It's just, it's just priceless for me. But you've got to do your journey, and you're going to have those. Not that I've already attained this. I'm not there yet, but I'm pressing on. You're going to have those moments. But you'll also, if you'll... If you'll and, enter the journey, you'll also have these moments where you'll be going, this is the biggest no-brainer in the history of mankind. Of course I'm going to follow Jesus. Of course I'm going to say yes. Of course I'm going to take down my walls and my limits and my barriers. What do you want? When do you want it? How much of it do you want? Because I want the real thing, not just an empty religion. Back to the story that Jesus told. He describes... The sacrifice, yeah, it's literally selling everything they had, and that's twice. So it's not just one time. He did want to make that point, as he did so often in his teaching. It's going to take the real thing. It's going to take everything you've got. It's going to take a radical realignment of your values and your priorities to where Jesus is going to be here, and the close second, whatever it is, is so far distant that that person could feel like, what, do you hate me? You love Jesus so much. Where am I? Where do I fit into this? That, it, that he's going to be so far first. Yes, there's a cost. There's a sacrifice. But viewed from another light, cost? What sacrifice? Because of the treasure? Because of the value? Because of the surpassing worth? And so this guy who found the hidden treasure, he went, and, it, and Jesus was careful to say this, in his joy, he went and sold all he had. There was not a burden there. There was not a heaviness, and I, I, can, I can make it so heavy, and, and I can redo martyrdom in such picturesque ways in my life. And he said, well, yeah, then, then you're just really not getting it. You're not valuing it appropriately, because when you get it, you, in your joy, are willing to give up and sacrifice and turn over and surrender and submit, whatever it might be. Psalm 112 and verse 1 says this, Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. There is the front end of any command of God. There's the front end where it's, it's a command, so I may not feel like it. It's a command, so he's calling the shots. I'm being told what to do. 
And there's a front end of that. I don't like that. In relationships, in dealing with myself, with my heart, with my pride, with my way, there's a, there's a front end of that. I don't like that. But every single time, every time that I've yielded, and that's not 100% of the time I've yielded, but when I've yielded, when I've yielded, when I've surrendered, when I've obeyed, wow, he proves himself over and over and over again. He proves himself. Worth it, man, am I not so glad that I obeyed him? Am I not so glad that I did it his way, that I treated this person the way he wanted me to treat them, that I acted that way the way he wanted me to act in that situation, that I gave that up when I thought I needed to hold on to it, but he wanted me to let it go. There is delight, great delight, in obeying and doing his commands. And then... From the example of Jesus himself in Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes, and this is just always a good thing to do, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus is our perfect example in all things, and he's our example when you find yourself in endurance mode that it's hard. This is a tough one. Lord, this is a tough one here. When you find yourself in that mode, you're probably right where you need to be. You're inclined to think, I'm doing something wrong. This is the way it's supposed to work. Somehow the equation is not adding up. And yet that's where Jesus was. He had a cross that he had to endure. You and I are going to have crosses in our physical life, in our relationships, in our careers, in this world that we live in. We live in a sinful fall and we're going to have crosses that we're going to have to endure. But when we find ourselves in endurance mode, here's what Jesus did. He brought the joy in. He brought the joy in to help him endure by looking ahead to where this was going to lead. In our case, he saw our faces. What made it worth it? How did he answer that? Yeah, it's worth it. He saw our faces. He saw our souls. He saw my need. He saw your need. And he said, oh, yeah, they're worth it. He saw the joy of our salvation. He saw the joy of our uplift out of the burden of sin, out of the burden of guilt and shame. He saw the joy of our uplift, and and that's that's what allowed him to endure. The real way to authenticate. Am I religious or am I in a relationship? It's the joy. It's the level of joy when I'm trudging through and I'm grieved and I'm bitter and I'm burdened and I'm, I'm reliving martyrdom all out here. It's, it's, it's because I've, I've backed off of the, is it worth it? It's because I've backed off of understanding how incredibly worthwhile, surpassingly worthwhile 
is it to have Jesus in my life? The valuing, it turns out, of things like buried treasure is not just the the value of the gold because the the face value on those 1,420-some coins, the face value on them as it was printed on them at the time they were minted, all in the 1870s, every single coin, and in mint uncirculated condition, they, they, were, they valued like at $28,000. But because of the gold in them, they were worth much, much more than that. But now, since they've been put out on the market, they've actually increased to over $10 million. And now, they're actually being marketed on Amazon. And the people that know such things will say that what increases the value even beyond the gold that's in them is the story that goes along with them because they begin to carry a story with them and this whole idea of in our time buried treasure found in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada right here in Northern California it's just it's just the stuff of of dreams it's the stuff of tales and there's people out there probably right now on a Sunday out there with their Geiger counters (laughs) trying to find there's got to be more cans out here somewhere And it just increases the value, the stories that are told around them. And I got to say, I I get that. Not when I'm in it. But when I've gotten through it, any hardship, any cross to bear, any, any of that, what I thought was excruciating, I don't know if I can do this anymore moment. When I've gotten through it, and by God's grace, have held on, or he's really held on to me through it, then I look back and, and, and I've got a story to tell, a story about his faithfulness, a story about how he was totally worth it. So I think if you'll join the journey of discovery, you'll be glad you did. If you'll look from right where you are, there may be buried treasure in a relationship with Jesus. You'll be glad you did. If you'll take whatever you may be experiencing and say, yeah, I'm right where I am. It's painful, and that means I'm paying attention. And it does mean a cross. But if you'll add to that, it's the biggest no-brainer in the history of mankind. Because of the value, you'll be glad you did. And if you'll be willing to look with fresh eyes in your life, in your friendships, in your world, in your walk with God, in your Bible, in your daily quiet times, in your small group, in your church family, if you'll look again, you might, you might have been missing it, but right in front of you is the experience of the pearl of great value in a life with Jesus. If you look, Jesus promises you'll find and you'll be glad you did. Let's stand and let's sing our final song.